Good evening, everybody. Welcome to, yeah, this evening service. I'm, yeah, glad that you all could be here, and I'm sure that uh, God has something for each one of us to hear here this evening. I'm excited to, yeah, hear what that is. I um, have asked Matt Esch to come up and, yeah, share a little bit of a devotional about um, yeah, I guess whatever he wants to talk about, I'll let him take it from there. And in closing the final song, we are going to be lifting an offering for Brother Arthur. And um, yeah, I guess a lot of that is probably going to go to him and just yeah help out with his travel expenses and the sacrifice that he's made to come here um, this weekend. Um, yeah, so I'll give the time over to Matt and then as soon as he is done Arthur you can feel free to come up and take it from there well good evening um, I was asked to share about my time <clears throat> at Mountain View and uh, it feels like I had to dig back a little bit in my memory and dig out some of those good memories. Um, yeah, and when they started coming it was hard to get them to stop because I do have a lot of fond memories of Mountain View. Um, so yeah, I guess this might not be as much a devotional as just more about my time in Mountain View and um, yeah, maybe um, even more so directed to the youth here um, and yeah, what you guys are going through. So yeah, I'll just start in. Um, the one day I, I don't know if you know how Mountain View is, um, there's a, two big hallways with rooms on either side and I looked down the one hallway and um, the most beautiful woman in the world was walking to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding. I'll be like Nate and, uh, yeah, we don't have to get into the romantic blessings that I received at Mountain View. So, um, no, Mountain View, I'm, yeah, I'm sure most of you know what it is. It's a, a nursing home um, that has 40 beds in it, so 40 residents are there most of the time, um, unless one died or in, they're in the transition. Um, and it's primarily run by volunteers. There is some paid nurses there. Um, and some of the volunteer opportunities there are uh, certified nursing assistants, um, kitchen workers, maintenance, and um, housekeeping. That's just yeah, some of the basic ones. Um, and I guess I'll just share a little bit my journey in going and then what I learned, some of what I learned there. Um, yeah, I guess many people sit around and wait until they're called um, to go somewhere. And as a youth, it's kind of, um, can be kind of overwhelming because you don't really know how that calling is supposed to feel. You don't know if... Um, you know, one night you're in bed and you hear a literal knock on the door and God's there telling you to go somewhere or what. But, um, so yeah, that's kind of overwhelming 
as a youth to know when you're supposed to do something or what you're supposed to do. Um, and so oftentimes we kind of just, feels like people kind of just sit and wait and don't do anything. Um, for me, I, I kind of decided to go without ever really feeling cold. Um, I never got a packet in the mail that said, come to Mountain View. I never got a, um, nobody ever called me and said, they need help, you should come. Um, yeah, my brother went there and I always said I wouldn't go there because he went there and me and him are very different people and so if he enjoyed it then there was probably something else out there for me so surely I would explore that option but um, yeah I'm a very outgoing person and in Lancaster County as a youth that uh, yeah you feel like you get pulled and tugged every different every different way and um, I had youth group and high school friends and um, a job I loved and felt very fulfilled in. Um, you know, you have CBS friends, you have um, softball friends or whatever. I mean, random friend groups here and there. And there's so many pools and um, people wanting you to do this and that. And yeah, I feel like we have a very diverse group of friends. And um, I just, yeah. None of these, for me, none of these friends were, were, yeah, I had good friends, but some of them were just, um, you know, none of them were quote, quote, bad friends or people that were bad to be with, I would say. Um, but, I, yeah, I was at a time in my life at 19, 20 years old where I was searching and I wanted, I knew I needed people in my life with um, strong beliefs and convictions um, yeah, and I really felt like I was going down a path that, I don't know, just wasn't where I wanted to be. And somewhere along the line, I was challenged to take a look at my life and, um, like, really ask the question, where do I want to be in five years from now? And um, that was, I don't know, four and a half years ago. So um, I guess I still have a little time to make a change there to get where I wanted to be in five years. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not even meaning just, you know, you know, with the physical gifts and stuff. I'm meaning like spiritually and with friends and, you know, where do you want to be in five years from now? And that was the question I asked myself. And, and that was a life-changing experience for me um, because I wasn't really where I wanted to be or I wasn't headed on the, I wasn't in the path that I wanted to be on five years from now, so, or from then. So, and I could honestly answer that. And that's when I started considering doing something. I don't even know, really, yeah, it's really hard for me to understand why Mountain View or why I even considered it and why I even one night, um, I don't know, went on, Mount View's website and requested a packet and application to go. I mean, yeah, I don't really know why, I guess. It feels like, looking back, it was obviously God, and he was obviously very involved. And then about two months after I, two or three months after I committed, I went to Haiti on a, on a one-week trip, uh, a medical trip, and then I for sure didn't want to go to Mount View because 
wow, there's way, there's way cooler things than Mountain View out there. And there's way more hurt and people needing help than a little town in Virginia. So that was really hard for me to get over, actually, um, to work through that and to come to the point where, yeah, I'm, I was committed to Mountain View. I wasn't going to uncommit. So, um, yeah, that was four months later then I did go and I was, um, yeah, I had no idea how much um, a nursing home in Virginia could change my life. And, yeah, some of you would freak out probably at the stories I could say and the things I experienced there, the people I took care of. Um, some of them were gentle and nice, and the next ones were were crazy and out of their minds, and it was sad. And, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, I could share stories and stories and when we get get together with our Mountain View friends we tell the same same stories over and over again and we laugh about them and I don't know the motions with yeah with taking care of old people is yeah a blessing a huge blessing and it's sad to see what dementia does and um, yeah what it can do and it really as a young person it's a life-changing opportunity to take care of other people's mom or dad or grandparent or husband or wife and to see so many of the old, older people that were there their their spouses were ha, had been coming to the home there to visit them each day for years and to see that dedication is amazing and um, yeah But yeah, the experiences there, the things we did from, you know, showering and bathing and getting ready for bed and toileting and you name it. We did it all. These were people that didn't, couldn't help themselves. They needed help. And there was more than one time I would go into the room and then you kind of step back and take a deep breath and pray and put on your blue gloves and go do it because there was nobody else was going to do it. And I've seen farm boys go down there and, um, yeah, you, I don't know, very um, hard young men that love to work hard and stuff, but to see um, a place like that change, change them and, and um, yeah, to see their soft side come out when taking care of older people is um, amazing. And so there really is, I mean, yeah, I've seen every type work there, and there's none of you um, are incapable of doing the work at Mountain View. Um, a bunch of you are unwilling, and that's the the sad part. Um, a highlight for me definitely was the every night we would, when you worked the late shift, you would put putting the people to bed. I always thought it was better putting them to bed than waking them up in the morning. But putting them to bed, um, you would pray with them and and a bunch of them never heard, never heard, probably never even understood. Um, some of them were already sleeping. Other, others didn't even know you were there. Um, and But yet a few of them, 
were with it and and those those ones that were there and that were cognitive and and would pray with you or pray for you those nights were I don't know were some of the best times um yeah it was more than once I walked out of a room and with tears in my eyes because I just was so blessed um and it made all those other it made all those other things worth it and doable so I guess a little bit of a recap of Mountain View um, for me. The friends I made there, I did make some amazing friends um, at Mountain View, and that's been a huge blessing in my life. They've impacted me in far greater than I could ever thought or wished or prayed for even. And, um, yeah, that's a huge blessing and an answer to prayer for me. Um, and the convictions that some of the young men there stood for was uh, life-changing for me to see that there's actually youth in the world that, um, yeah, they love to have fun but love to be serious and talk more about, um, talk about stuff more than, you know, sports and hunting and stuff like that. And those were some of the best times that we had in the dorm up until 2 or 3 o'clock at night talking. And just hashing out everything and learning to get along. We lived together. Tons of people that, I don't know, ten guys that didn't believe the same way. It gets pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I learned that death is part of a nursing home and experiencing death firsthand is a life-changing experience. Um, even though they're not blood, they soon become uh, old people that you love and love dearly. Um, yeah, I also, yeah, like I said, the, with all the people there, the relationships, um, take effort and work, but are very rewarding, and I think that's, yeah, true throughout all walks of life, and there is definitely a need there, so, um, if you ever think of it, or, I don't know, if you need something to do, you can come talk to me, and I can, definitely give you a number or show you the way there because it's a life-changing experience. Could I have a glass of, oh there it comes, wow. <clears throat> I didn't get here early enough to set up, so we'll do that now. Oh, I should maybe start the thing, huh? Okay, good. Well, this is the last evening. You've been a good group. I've enjoyed interacting with you. <clears throat> I want to give you a chance to respond to the things that you've been hearing. And uh, so at the end, just before I tell my last stories that I want to tell you, um, I want to give you a chance to 
to say this is what I liked, this is what I want to take home with me, this is what impacted me, those kinds of things. <clears throat> Reviewing a little bit this morning, we talked about local ministry opportunities, and I told you to ask a couple of, uh, that, that questions that I think are good questions to ask that, that guide us to know what, what are the local ministry opportunities that we ought to pursue. Does anybody remember what those questions were? Okay. Bad teacher. Um, the first question was, what is the enemy doing in my neighborhood? What is the enemy doing in my neighborhood? What can I do to stop him? So what kinds of things was I talking about? I talked about Hutchinson being a place where there's drugs, there's alcohol, there's homelessness. And so that gave me an idea about where to do local ministry. Um, anybody remember what, the, what one of the other questions was? What are the needs that people have around me? Um... The third question was, what, what would it look like for the kingdom of God to come to, to, to Lancaster County, and how can I participate in that? So those are questions I was asking you. <clears throat> and another question, just to see if you were listening this morning. Um, what did Dr. Jana Nisley say? If, if you're trying to figure out how, she, she said... I felt the call as a young girl to be a missionary doctor, but I don't have a clue how to do that. So what do you do? Just do the next right thing. You did the next right thing. And I just want to speak to you who are here this, today. If you hear from God, like I'm going to pray that you will, you're going to say, I, I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I just have the sense that this is where I'm supposed to go. I'm going to pray that you will be able to do the next right thing. For her, it was going to college. And then it was going to med school. And then it was choosing the kind of... Um, internship, whatever, uh, after that, that would be the best for being a missionary doctor. And then it was paying off her, her student loans. And then it was looking for a place that would, uh, that would be the right place. So doing the next right thing. This morning I was in such a hurry to, to make so you come tonight. I wanted to stop on time or, or close to time. I didn't tell you some of these stories, but uh, we, we were trying to figure out whether this was a doable thing. Is it a doable thing to have a place where homeless people can come in out of the, out of the cold, drink some coffee, and have a, have a place to be? When we started, like I said, we didn't know if we could pull this off. We didn't know if anybody would come. Um, 
And we tried really hard to not use homeless because that's kind of a discriminating word. So we called people guests. We, we discovered there was, there was homeless people who didn't have a home, but there was also neighbors who came. And uh, they just liked to hang out there. And they enjoyed friendship. And these people who are lonely came on our turf and they came to be family to us. It wasn't just a one or two time encounter like, uh, like Hands of Christ is you, you, you do a ramp or you do, you rake leaves or something and then it's kind of, we're done now except trying to check up on them once in a while afterwards. But there the people come to you. Isn't that pretty good? People come to you and, uh, and you get a chance to, to help them. My wife settled more than one fight. Uh, she just had the sense that, uh, I don't know, she was braver than I was. She, I mean, she was, she was in charge and I was just there to, to be a presence. And they started fighting and Lil said, this is, this is God's place. We're going to calm down. We don't talk like that. And um, that was good. We, as we started this ministry, we weren't sure how many people would come, but it, it was exciting because uh, local people heard about what was happening, and it, was, it, it so uh, rung a bell with them, the homeless people. A lot of people care about homeless people. You just kind of keep going because you don't, you don't know what to do. And so we got donations. We got volunteers. Um, we became a family. They felt, many, many people said, when we walk in here, we feel the Lord's presence. It's a warm place. We can tell that you love us. And uh, we saw people get jobs. We saw people get housing. Um, that's what God did for us. So, so this morning I talked about local, local ministry. Tonight I want to talk about how do you get from sitting back there uh, three benches from the end and how do you get from there to where God wants you to land up at. In 2008, I did a, did a, a series of messages in, in Kansas. I think they called them, I don't remember what they called it, Missions Week or something. In preparation for that, I, I did a questionnaire and I said, so, and I sent it out and I got 92 responses from people on the mission field. And I said, how, how did you get from sitting on the bench to being on the mission field? Because I thought, if I would know the answer to that question, then I could, we could plan for this, we could make it happen, so that people who, whom God is calling, and who feel a call, but aren't quite sure what to do, would be able to get there. Isn't that a good idea? Let's be more intentional about helping people get from here to where God wants them to go. Um, and so, tonight I want to talk about some of those ideas, and uh, I pray that it will be a blessing to you. Uh, 
I'm going to read this stuff. This is stuff that I didn't feel like I had time for this morning. <clears throat> the coffee corner exists to show the love of Christ, love of Jesus to the guests that visit us. The coffee corner is a place where people experience warmth, belonging, friendship, and hope. And the exciting thing is that when these people came during the, during the day, they, it just made sense to come to Sunday afternoon church. And we had 30 and 40 people uh, joining us for, for the Bible study in the afternoon. And, it, and this, is, this felt at home for them because this is where they spent a bunch of time during the week. And uh, that was wonderful. I think I'll skip that. A picture. So, how should I respond to all this and what can I do? I'm going to spend a bunch of time here at this slide. It's not the way, I'm still trying to figure out how to, to share what I'm trying to share. Uh, and maybe senders and goers isn't the best way to do it. But I'm trying to ask the question, and maybe you'll have some input. I'm trying to ask the question, some of you, I'm praying, will tonight and the nights and the days to come will have renewed ability and kind of be expecting to hear from God. You see, all too often we just kind of expect to keep doing what I've always been doing and we don't ask questions. So God, what do you want me to do? Uh, and then we don't really expect him to say anything. But I'm, I, I'm just wanting to talk about this little graph. I hope it's helpful. Um, and senders are the people who, maybe because of age, and here again, retired people who, for whom their children are gone, they can, they can be very useful for the kingdom. But here I'm using senders as people who have the sense that God wants me to, to stay here and encourage other people to go. And the goers, I know that's not a word, I don't think it is, but the people who have the sense that God wants them to do something, to go somewhere, they're not quite sure. Um, yeah, I'll go here and then I'll come back. I didn't have time to organize my thoughts very well. So what verse has been ripped from the conservative Anabaptist Bible? That's not in your Bible, is it? Do you know what Amish humility is? I don't know if you're understanding me or not. Have you heard of a preacher's itch? That's about as low as you can go.
So if you would be, if you would have a sense that God is calling you to something, you're not quite sure what it, what it is. If you're a good person at, Peck, at, at, Mine, at uh, Weavertown, what would you do with that? That verse isn't in your Bible, and so you just say, all you know is that somehow humility is so important, and you should never take the initiative to say, I want to be involved in ministry. Is there a word like fawvency or something like that? I've heard of churches where when a man is ordained, people send him sympathy cards. Is that the way it ought to be? What should be our perspective? We should say, okay, I'm all against, let, let me clarify, I'm all against people grasping for a position in order to control or to, or to uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who say, I feel like God is calling me, but I feel trapped because it's not appropriate at my church to say, I feel a fire burning inside, and what am I supposed to do with that? I guess I'll go ahead and do this. This became, became clear to me when I was in El Salvador and I kind of thought it was my job to keep doing what the person was doing before I came. Daniel Lapp is right here. I, I, he surely told me, but I, it, for me, it just—it wasn't very clear. I just thought I was supposed to keep doing what he what he had done, and I didn't know what else to do. And then uh, I knew I loved the El Salvadoran people. I knew that God had given me some gifts, but I didn't know what to do with that. It took two different people. Two different ladies, uh, one a North American and one a Salvadoran that said, Arthur, Lil, we think that you should do something. You should be involved in some kind of a teaching ministry. Out of the blue sky. And I said, mm, I don't know what to do with that. For me to offer, for me to, to, to try to figure out what to do and to prepare myself, that just felt wrong. Can you identify with that? I, I'm praying that as we look and as we think that by God's grace we can change what ought to be changed about the Weavertown culture to make so that there's a way for people who have a fire burning here to speak up. That was 1993 when I... 
through a series of circumstances that were too, too complicated, I suddenly knew that I was supposed to do a teaching on sexual abuse. What does God want us, what does God want people to know who've been abused? And uh, so that was a, a, a long story about Yeah. Okay. Allow your love for people to overcome your fears. You learn by doing, not by waiting until you know it all. We've talked about some of these ideas before. Can you identify the religious humility, this aversion to the preacher's itch that keeps you from acting? I want to propose, propose that there is an appropriate way to start learning and prepare for ministry, even though you're not quite sure where, where you're going. And a well-known church leader says, he'd rather teach a doer than to try to motivate a thinker. Okay, let's go back. I want to show you this again. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, I think God wants Weavertown to be a place where people who have a sense of calling say, I don't know what it looks like. Would you help me to develop the skills and the character that I'm going to need to be successful wherever God calls me? I don't know what, the, what it looks like, but would you help me? Learn as much as you can. And I'm asking for people to, to say, if you're a church leader, but I'm not, I'm not limiting this just to church leaders. I'm saying, if you're somebody who's older and you sense that there's people back there that have gifts, that they could be useful in the kingdom, and you're not quite sure what, what it looks like or, or what, what should you do? May I suggest that it can be powerful for you to say, I don't know what it looks like, but I, I just have the sense that God is calling you, and I'm willing to walk with you. I'll help you. I'll give you ideas about what to do to get ready, but this is what I, what I think God wants you to do. You listen, and if, and if I'm right, God will confirm that. I want to see, here at Weavertown, I want to see people who find and affirm the gifted people and challenge them to find their place. And I want to see people that are feeling a calling for it to be okay to say, not, I'm not talking about pride, I'm not talking about, I want position, I want... Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a genuine, right humility that says, I don't know, I don't understand, but there's a fire here, and I think I'm supposed to start getting ready. Will you help me? Will you give me wings? Will you give me, will you help me find my way forward? That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you.
Now the senders should be people who give honest feedback. And by that I mean if, and are you understand what I mean by senders? People who are older, who, who see gifts around you and you say, this is somebody that we ought to develop. And if God wants them to stay here, praises be. But if God wants them to go somewhere else, that's okay. Give honest feedback. Guide and mentor. And help them not to get sidetracked or to lose focus. There's too many people sitting back there that had a vision and because it wasn't safe to say anything, they didn't find someone else to help them stay on track. I think there's something very good happening at, at center. There's two couples right now that have the sense that God is calling them to ministry. Like I said, one of them is finishing a civil engineer job, uh, a degree, and he's going to have to be training and working, working for a while before he can really be on his own. But we think that's going to open up doors of opportunity. There's another man and his wife and two daughters who um, senses that God has a call for them to go to Turkey. And he says, the door looks pretty closed right now. But God called me. And if he wants to change that direction, and if all of a sudden doors open up and things clear up and it's not Turkey after all, but his preparation, he's going to school to be a history teacher. And, uh, and both of those couples have invited a group of people to, to surround them and they have periodic meetings to help them stay on track and to help them um, do the next right thing. The couple, the civil engineer uh, man and his wife, we sent to I-58 uh, last year. And uh, that was an enriching, mind-broadening uh, experience. He's trying to connect with other people, at, uh, with Mus Muslim uh, people at, uh, at, at the university. But he's saying, I know this is a long journey. I want people to come around me and to help me. And to, and to mirror me. If there's things that, character flaws, if there's things that ought to be, that I ought to be working on, I want them to help me because I tell you, once you're 2,000 or 5,000 miles away, that's no time to find out that you have issues that you should have worked on at home and didn't. Um, so I want senders to find the people you have no idea your power to be able to influence people and say, I don't know what it is. And don't take this lightly. Don't just say, don't, don't talk to every, every man back there just because you think this is power. Arthur says it's powerful. I'm talking about listening carefully to God and tapping these people on the shoulder. And I'm talking about giving honest feedback. To guide them, to mentor them, to help them not get sidetracked. I'll tell you, I bet, 
little bit. But I think there's a lot of people who kind of lose focus because there's a fire here. There used to be a fire here, but they kind of lose focus because they're not quite sure, uh, did I really hear from God? Uh, am, I just, am I just confused and thinking that uh, there's a calling of God in my life and am I just making that up? And they need to hear from you. And here in the grow section, I want those of you who are sensing a call from God, don't just sit there and wait until some glorious moment when all of a sudden you, uh, God says it's time to go now. The spiritual discipline of a, of an, a live relationship with God, you'll need that. Being a missionary is a lonely journey where you're giving, 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 and not very many people give to you. You need to have an alive relationship with God. You need to be able to read the scriptures and have God speak to you and minister to you and pull your ear, instruct you, correct you. Develop ministry skills. What I'd like to see is for those of you who... Uh, have a sense that God's calling you, I kind of want you to be able to, uh, to be involved in as much ministry opportunities locally as you can to stretch and develop those muscles. And uh, if, you, if you're involved on a local level, when God calls you to something else, you'll be better prepared. Learning how to learn. Finding personal healing. Those are all things that, that I want to see happening to the goers. And then the senders, we talked about finding, growing, and then there comes a place where these people, these people are the good people that you don't want to let go. Because they're so valuable and you think you can't, can't go without them. Did you think about it that God said, I want you to separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. That was while they were praying and, and asking God. Two out of five, two out of five of the leaders of that Antioch church, God says, those are the two that I want to, want to go. And they didn't know, have a clue what they were supposed to do. But they knew how to listen to God and so... They took off and they said, kind of had the sense we should go to Cyprus. That seemed like a good logical place. So they went to Cyprus and then they learned to listen. So, senders, believe in these people and when the time is right, I hope you're going to be involved in their journey and that you'll have that sense with them that this is the right place. When they say, I have this ministry opportunity or I sense that God is calling me to this place then you'll be able to confirm to them that I think that's right. We're going to miss you. But this is a God thing. And we as a Weavertown Church, we're going to release you. And then I want the goers to practice ministry, to communicate with the prayer supporters. So... That's what I want for you. Now let me run through these slides that I 
My foundational belief is that if we take commands of Jesus seriously, we must obey him when he instructs us to go. The extent of the, of the need demands that we send more people to the field. The way the local church dis disciples their people or does not disciple them has a great impact on how many people are going to be able to go to the field. If we're intentional, if we are intentional about freeing our people to hear the call of God and to respond, even if that means that we're going to lose them, more people will go than if we just have church on autopilot. If we hang on to our people, both we ourselves and they will suffer. You'll recognize this verse. Jesus said this profound statement. It's not, I modified this and maybe you won't like it. But Jesus said, if you hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If, you, if your focus is quality of life, I don't want to just have a good, comfortable life. What does Jesus say? You'll never find it. But if you're willing to give your life for the kingdom, you're going to wake up discovering that this is life. Now I want to change that and I want you church leaders, you people who consider yourselves senders, I want you to think globally. Don't just think, but we need these people here. We can't afford to let them go. Um, for whoever will save his church by hanging on to the people, building a bigger building or whatever, whoever will save his church is going to lose them. But whoever loses his church by helping to prepare people for ministry and bless them as they go to other places, as soon as they're ready, whoever loses his church for Jesus' sake will find it. There's always going to be people eager to be here and to be equipped because that's what we do here. Jesus said it. It's a principle that you'll see that applies to so many areas. If you hang on to something... If you think happiness, if you think that things are going to satisfy you, your focus is, a, is a, a focus on this to meet my needs, to make me happy. And Jesus says, nope, that's not the way it works. Happiness, fulfillment, quality of life comes from giving your life away. And all of a sudden you discover that, hey, this is life. I know what this is like. I was leading the church in San Salvador. And God was so gracious and gave me a lot of young men. A lot of gifted young men. And I would push them. And I would put them into uh, places of ministry. Maybe it's illegal here. But I let them preach. And as I saw their giftedness, I would just kind of keep pushing them. And there was a man that I just so badly 
I said, in another year or two, I think he's, we're going to have an ordination. And then he felt the call of God to go back, go to Oklahoma. And I was devastated. I was sad. We needed him. But then I thought global. I said, it's okay. I built into this man's life, and he's a better man. He's going to Oklahoma. He's going to be able to build there, and that's okay. That's, what we, that's the kind of attitude we need to have. I'm going to say we lose our people not because we ask too much of them, but because we ask too little. I believe that there's people here that are bored because my ministry opportunities aren't very challenging. And they're looking elsewhere for excitement. But when we tap them on the shoulder, when we say, I see something in you, and I want to see that multiplied. I'm not sure if God's leading you somewhere else, but there's a calling of God on your life that can be powerful. I want to talk a little bit about detours. Detours on the way of meaningful ministry. Oh, let's, let's just ask you to help me. So you tell me, what do you guess would be some detours for somebody who feels the call of God? He's back there and he has two children or whatever. Um, his wife and, yeah, a couple children. Kind of senses the call of God. Or maybe it's a single fellow. What would be things that would keep them from being able to end up where God wants them to be? Remember, this morning we were talking about close to home. Now I'm talking about maybe not close to home. What would be the detours that could keep one of you, one of us, from making it to where God wants us to be? Any ideas what you'd like to say? Death. What? Death. Death. Debt! Ha-ha! Did you hear that? Good. I wanted to say that too. So you're, we're, we're tracking together. What, what else could keep you from, what could derail you? What could keep, what could permanently keep you from where God wanted you to go? Family ties. Family ties. Who said that? Okay, family ties. Heritage. What? Heritage. Heritage. Okay, let's just, we'll, we'll go there. Family ties. And that means that grandpa and grandma can't bear to have the, child, the grandchildren leave. Is that what you're talking about? Hmm. May I say that if you, that, that verse that I had up here, the modified verse, if you think quality of life is having those grandchildren around you, and if that's your focus, and I'm going to hang on to them, fulfillment goes out the door. Because quality of life is not grandchildren, is not things, it's giving those up for the kingdom, and then God gives back what he wants to. 
Good. Okay, t tell me about heritage. I, I didn't know where you were going with that. Who, who said heritage? Okay. Okay, I lost you. Okay, okay, gotcha. For me to, to learn to minister to people cross-culturally, that's, that's over the top. I can't do that. Okay. Any, any comments over here? What, what, would, what could keep you from ending up where God wants you to be? Careers. Explain that one to me. Okay. Huh. So uh, putting that together with debts, if, if you're saying that if I make choices that tie me down, and it's not clear that I sh that that's what I should be doing, then maybe a career. Whether it's, yeah, okay, I get you. Thank you. Who is that? Okay, back here. So, a detour is what? About third world country, sacrifice quality of life? Okay, so you're saying that, that that's... Giving up my comforts, that, I uh, don't think I can do that. Is that what you're saying? Okay, thank you. The, the idea that the way I live right now is kind of bottom, is kind of uh, the basics. And I can go up, up the scale, but giving up those things, uh, I'd better find a place that's comfortable. Okay? Good. Well, let's see what I had here. Assuming home involvement without specific instructions from God. Okay. Sometimes people think that Arthur wants to send everybody to the mission field. That's not what, I, what I'm saying. I'm saying, I'm asking you to not assume, Reno, uh, not assume Lancaster County unless God confirms that. And if God confirms that, then you... That is the most spiritual thing you can do. But if, if God doesn't, uh, if God confirms to you something else, then we go with that. So I don't want you to just assume that home involvement without specific instructions from God. I want you to be listening. There's debt, temporal values. That kind of goes with the comfort, that, that debt and comfort that we were talking about. Choice of spouse. If you're married, don't. Well, I'm not talking about trading in, but I'm. Um, but if you're a single person and you have a sense that God is calling you, I hope one of the first dates that you have is that you'll talk about this and say, "Are our are your values compatible with mine?" I don't know what it what it looks like. I don't know, and you'll just tell them what you're sensing. And if, if that is a, a deal breaker, let's, let it be a deal breaker early on. 
rather than getting emotionally involved and, and trying to somehow figure this thing out. Negative attitudes toward ministry. <sighs> Sometimes people, um, like I said, they send, somebody's ordained and they send them a sympathy card. Um, I trust that your leaders, that you can tell that yes, it's a heavy responsibility, and yes, we take it seriously, and yes, it's not all fun, but it's a delight to be trusted by God to be on his team. But I'll just say this. If you're someone who, who groans about having to teach a Sunday school class or... Um, they're asking me to do this. If you're someone who grumbles about that, then don't be surprised if people try, try to avoid ministry. Do the people, leaders, do the people under your care know that you're glad to serve them and that you love doing what you're doing? Okay, I have two stories I want to tell. And then we're out of here. No, oh no. I'm just going to give you guys a chance to talk. If there's no response, that's fine. Thank you. We have a microphone back here. I, I've talked four times, and right now I'm not sure I can remember what all I talked about. This morning I talked about local ministry. This evening I'm talking about the steps to get to away from home ministry. Um... So, this is your chance. If you want to bless other people by saying, this, was some, this is something I would remember, this is something that I want to hang on to, Mike is back there with a mic. Isn't that kind of cute? Mike is with a mic. Uh, so, does anybody want to share about something that you're going to take home with you and bless other people by sharing? Okay, that's fine. Oh, no, there's a hand over here. I was challenged by your thought on the practical ways to uh, have the kingdom in our local community. Okay. And you talked about talking to a mentor or getting a mentor to help okay. us. Okay. I think my generation, uh, we like to rely on our smartphones and on Google for uh, answers for everything. Okay. Sometimes we sometimes err on that side of if we have questions on anything, just Google and find out versus uh, asking somebody older than us, especially older people in church. Uh -huh. I find it very valuable personally. Thank you. And I know a lot of young people that are crazy smart because they have access to the Internet. But when it comes right down to giving somebody a tract or doing, doing the stuff that they know all that stuff about, they're scared. There's something about doing something with someone else that is just really good. Thank you so much for sharing. Someone else who wants to just kind of talk about your response. Thank you. We have some ladies here. Wonderful. So I just want to say thank you, first of all, for coming. It was incredibly inspiring. Um, 
I think the idea of just being willing to do the next thing, even if like, I don't know, we, and often I take that and take it as the next right thing must be doing what's today. Um, but I do have a question for you and I am wondering, um, a lot of us I think in this church own or are very in, heavily involved in business. Mm -hmm. And I just have a question if you have an idea of what, the, um, I don't know, that ministry can look th like through business specifically mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how that could be worked out greater in our church maybe. Hmm. That's a wonderful question. Many of us are involved in, in, in business and it gives you connections and people come to you. Tomorrow I'll have a wise idea. Um, what are some of the rest of you have to say in answer to that question? Oh, sorry. Um, speaking of, I think it's very grateful that my brother's going to, he wants to be there for four years and I don't know, he's... Your brother what? My brother CJ. Okay. So, yeah, um... No, the visa ran out, so he has to come home this winter. So, yeah, he's, I think we have to really pray for that. Um, he's having very much witness. And so that's, I think, through all these people that do witness here, I mean, I think it's the older people up here have great, great times in praying for these people. I'm blessing with it. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. So I, I want to come back to the, to the, how do I use business as a platform for, for ministry. I'm sure there are smart people here that can answer that question. Wise people. I'd like to think that one thing you could do is to block off a couple hours per week for me, I tried to do it half a day a week. I didn't, I didn't achieve that. But that was my day to go down to the park and to preach. It was so invigorating. It was so, I would often, as I was coming back on the bus, I would just say, this is why I'm here. This is, I just had that high of, this is what people need. So maybe that'd be one thing I would say to you. Because you're in business, I hope that you can have wiggle room to where you can, can uh, take off a couple hours and be involved in something that helps you to keep on track so that you don't, don't sidetrack. Because business is so that if your business is growing, it's more absorbing, and if you're not, not careful, it takes more and more of your time. So I would say, try to figure out, and this is my Friday afternoon, or this is my whatever it is, and this is my block of time to get out of the office, get out of whatever, and, and go do something. That's the only thing I can tell you. The rest of these guys know what else to say. Okay, okay, back here. Chris wants to say, maybe he's going to answer the question. Uh, I don't know if I want to stand up after you said somebody smart should stand up and speak. Oh, but uh, I, uh, I have been stirred in the last few days. Just, I don't know, there's just a lot of thoughts going through my mind. 
we've been pretty active, I would say, in Lancaster City, and yet sometimes we still try to figure out, you know, how do we be intentional mm -hmm. enough? Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of business, that's from something that we've really tried to be intentional about where we hire immigrant people to work alongside of us. And that's, that's been a really neat experience for us, just working alongside these people day after day. Um, right now we have three Turkish guys working and a guy from Bosnia and then one from Iran. And it's just a neat experience to work alongside these people. Mm -hmm. But uh, just in, in spite of all that, I just feel like there's a lot that I'm thinking about and I just appreciate all you've been or all you've been sharing this weekend. It's been mm -hmm. challenging, and for us, it's like, okay, what do we do? We stay in Lancaster and continue to build here. Do we? Does God want us somewhere else? Um, I don't know. I I just ask you to pray for us in that. Mm -hmm. Let's pray for him right now, Heavenly Father. We heard Chris say we're excited about the things we're doing in, in Lancaster City, and we're not quite sure what we're supposed to do. You're not a God who says, I know what you ought to do, but I'm not going to tell you. You're a God who delights to show us what to, what to do. And I'm asking that, that Chris and Sylvia will know what the next right thing is to do and uh, that you would just confirm to them what it looks like. And I pray that these brothers and sisters here will help them listen and if you give them words that they'll come alongside Chris and say, I'm not sure this is right, but this is what I heard. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Who else wants to say something? There's a couple of hands over here. Way to go, ladies. I've just been convicted the last couple of days listening, thinking, and praying. I think something somewhere where we really lack in here is mentoring and standing aside those that are in service. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to see a ministry of mentors scheduled continually on an individual basis with those that are in service. Mm -hmm. Perhaps even our school teachers, that we could pray for them daily mm -hmm. and make a contact with them maybe mm -hmm. on a weekly basis to see where they're at mm -hmm. and find out what their concerns and prayer mm -hmm. requests would be, mm -hmm. that we as a church could perhaps support them mm -hmm. in a completely new way. Thank you. May I say something and then we'll get, give a couple more people here. My wife, oh, Titus 2 says that God wants the older women to teach the younger women there's something very, very powerful. She is discovering it's just the excitement and the thrill of inviting a handful of women to her house and uh, they talk about life. And uh, this is before they go wherever they go. There's young mothers who, who just need somebody to, to give them ideas because they're feeling overwhelmed. So... I'm just piggybacking on what you said. So the mentoring can happen long distance or it can happen locally. Thank you very much. Uh, over here. I would just like to comment on Lena's question about um, business okay, and good. ministry, how we can bring that together. 
And um, having had a business for 20 years, a store, I found it a great opportunity to just take time to share with my customers. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and also with the people you do business with. And there's a lot of people that ask you about, you know, the way you dress or mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. you look. And you can share about that and then lead them to uh, Christ and mm-hmm. our testimony. With, and, and there's just, it's a wonderful way to reach people because they come right to you. Mm-hmm. And, and the key is to take time to just answer their questions and just hear God speak mm-hmm. to you and, and share from your heart and be sure to mention uh, Christ and God mm-hmm. and our faith mm-hmm. in him. And, mm-hmm. and you can just have a great ministry mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. I heard two things that I think is, is, is a partial answer to, to, the, to the business question. I heard you say, take time for people. We, if we're doing business, we're trying to, to keep going. And you're saying, slow down and take advantage of opportunities. The second thing I heard you say was, um, hmm. it went. Okay, keep going. Right now, I'm in the process of revisiting my personal mission statement and um, just looking at some of my life roles and my short and long-term goals. And I feel like this weekend has has given me greater clarity um, as I begin to flesh out those pieces. So thank you so much for what you shared. Way to go with 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 putting it on paper, and uh, and hopefully putting some times to that and saying. In three years, in five years, I want to be there. That doesn't mean that if, if something happens, you, you can't change that, but blessings to you. Yes. So two things. First of all, um, when I was 14 to 21, I used to go to Carmen's Fruit Farm very regularly. Alda's father was always there. And there was no question in my mind that he was a very solid Christian. Uh-huh. Secondly, there was always the little booklets out. I don't remember what they were called, but they were very readily available at Kaufman's every day of the year. And I know I got a couple of those. Okay. So who knows what that meant. The other thing, um, Christian Aid Ministries is just, what is it, six, eight miles that way. And while we may have varied degrees of thoughts when we think about Christian Aid because of some things lately, and I'm not sure if they have their open house this year, um, but usually they have an open house that's blessed our family considerably by showing, I don't know, 2,000 plus slides of every part of the world, mm-hmm. I maintain that that's the fastest way to get rich. <laughs> by seeing all those countries where maybe worst case there's a piece of tin or a chair under mm-hmm. a um, mm-hmm. tree and we reflect that against mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. comforts. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Is a hand over here. May I brag on my mom and dad a little bit, but some of us get scared when we say, you said something, we don't want to send our grandchildren away or something like that, but my son's in Jordan, and every week he gets to spend an hour on the phone with mom and dad in prayer. So if you grandparents think that your relationship's got to get broken when your children, grandchildren leave, I would probably say they're probably closer to him than maybe any of the grandchildren, but probably the father's away. I know that the father's away. Praise the Lord. And so, yeah, there is, 
<laughs> there is beauty in sending your grandchildren. There's beauty mm -hmm. in sending your children mm -hmm. out. Relationships don't get broken. You got mm -hmm. WhatsApp and yeah. phones, and I think the relationships almost can grow greater when they can relate to that. And with CJ being in Jordan, he, he loves to spend time in prayer. And you were talking about the mentoring things tonight. Uh, if you would want to make his day, you would call, and this is women to call CJ up and tell him that you want to spend a half hour at a certain time every week with him in prayer, and he would be delighted. So huh. he feels like he needs people here. And if you would like to mentor somebody, he, he invites that in his life. And I sometimes I feel like a crazy dad letting a 19-year-old go 2,000 miles away. But... Uh, I think he has support from the church and people here, so he needs it. Thank you. Another man over here. Some of the questions that was asked tonight um, about witnessing and how do you be a witness, where are you at? There's one verse in Acts that has blessed me so much when I think about being a witness. Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Mm -hmm. When the Holy Ghost comes upon us, we shall be a witness. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say we might be. It doesn't say we have to do this or this or this to be a witness. It says that ye shall be a witness. Mm -hmm. And when we become a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Mm -hmm. So if you're a Christian, you are a witness in the small area in the world where you're at, wherever that may be, if it's at work or if it's in Africa or wherever, mm -hmm. you are a witness. Mm -hmm. Can I just add that Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll be a fisher of men. If you spend time with Jesus... It's going to happen. That's what Jesus said. And I'm praying for mentors, people who, for whom this witnessing lifestyle is just a part of them, and they'll let other people come alongside them. It's just going to see how you do it. Because there's nothing that breaks the ice. That's what happened to me. I, had some, I watched someone else do it, and I said, oh, okay, I can do that. But I, I was just kind of scared, and I was frozen, and I didn't, I didn't dare. But watching someone else, then I can do that too. Anybody else? Okay. Let me tell you two stories. Which way is north? That way. Okay, that's, that's, that's kind of what I thought, but I didn't know. So, the story is that Philip goes off to Samaria... And I don't know how he got there, but he's having a powerful ministry. He is, people are coming to the Lord, and they're being baptized. They don't have the Holy Spirit yet, but mm, I don't know what that's all about. But then the people off in Jerusalem hear the story, and they send somebody up to them, and uh, they pray for them, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and... There's a powerful church growing and developing in Samaria. Praise the Lord. I mean, doesn't that make anybody feel good if people are coming to the Lord under your ministry? And about that time, what does God say? I want you to go to the desert. Okay, Samaria, 
You stay here? <laughs> I don't know what this means. It makes no sense to me. And so he starts walking this way. And Jerusalem is over there. And the Bible says there's a man over there who I think is sad. And the Bible says he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Not only did he go to, to worship, he bought a copy of the book of Isaiah. I have no idea how much that cost him. And if he hadn't been a high-ranking official with lots of assets, he wouldn't have had that. Because you just don't, don't go to Jerusalem and buy, buy a book of Isaiah, a scroll of Isaiah. Um, you just don't do that. So he's going along here and he's saying, so back to, back to Philip. Philip is here. He's walking along here and he says, so what's this all about? I'm out here, there's a camel over there, there's a palm tree over here, but there's nobody to... Back in Samaria, I could preach to all kinds of people. What's going on? Well, God said to go, so I'm going this way. And what he didn't know is that over here in Jerusalem, this man is heading back home. At least he has a, a copy of the, of the gospel, of the, not the gospel, but the, the book of Isaiah. And, and he's reading, and as he drives along, they meet each other and he's reading Isaiah 53. I propose that our God, the God of the Bible, cares very, very, very much about people who are seeking. And he'll pull Philip from a from a successful evangelistic ministry in a big city, he'll pull him out of there and he'll say, I want you to go through the desert. This isn't just, just, uh, just a trial, just a test. There's really something that I want to see happen. And so they meet and uh, the man says, he says, do you understand what you're, what you're reading? I don't know if he could read the text or if he had somebody reading it for him. But Philip says, do you not understand what you're reading? The guy says, I need somebody to explain to me what Isaiah 53 means. Is this about, about the, man, the author or is he talking about someone else? And the Bible says that he got, got on, the, on the chariot and explained to him the story of Jesus. I have a question for you. Is that hearing from God just a New Testament thing. Most of you don't dare nod or, or do anything. That's okay. Hmm. The second story I want to tell you is from this book. How many of you have read this book? Okay, there's a few here. I was fascinated with the book. I'm going to have to kind of look through it to uh, uh, one thing I want to tell you hmm maybe I won't better not um 
This man, that's not his real name. Nick is not his real name. But he uh, uh, embarked on a journey to interview hundreds of persecuted Christians in different parts of the world to uh, discover what it is that they have that we might need someday. And so he was on this trip with every day planned about what he's going to do every day. And uh, toward the end of the book, I think it's the next to last chapter, he tells this story. He was getting close to the end of his several month trip going from country to country in Southeast Asia. And he received an email from a European doctor who said, I think you're supposed to come to a border town between two Asian countries. And he said, I can't come this trip. This trip is completely planned, but I will come next year. And so he did, went to another city and he came back to Bangkok, Thailand. And there was a, and then he had internet again. And the second letter, the second email was more insistent. And he was getting a little bit frustrated. He says, I will not come until next year. He went to the next country and before he was able to get to the people that he wanted to, he discovered that all 18 pastors that he had planned to interview had been arrested and were currently in jail. And so that was a closed door. So he goes back to Thailand, and there's another email from this pesky doctor. This time I was almost rude, he says. Please stop asking me to come. I'm not coming this time. But before he reached his next stop, there was a telephone call telling him that his next place he was going to, the pastors had been in a bad accident and the ones who didn't get hurt, weren't in the hospital, were suddenly feeling very, uh, very closely watched and they said, this isn't a good time. So he goes back to Thailand. Email number four. I really believe God wants you to come here. And so now Nick, with all these closed doors, says, <laughs> maybe I'm supposed to go there. So he swallowed his pride and called or emailed, communicated with him, said, I, I guess I'm coming to your country after all. So he flew to the capital city, and then he flew to a, a, a smaller city, and then a tiny plane to this border town. When it landed on the short run, dirt runway outside a border town, as soon as he landed, he spotted the man who he knew was the European doctor, and standing behind, beside him were five men in traditional Muslim dress who also seemed to be waiting at this remote desert airstrip for my plane to land. I asked the doctor, who are your friends? And he said, you don't know them? If you don't know who they are, and I don't know who they are, this is scary. This, is, <laughs> this isn't safe. I've got to get out of here. So he left him. The doctor suddenly left him alone and uh, said, I need to get out of here. So he's walking toward the terminal, and these five men dressed in traditional Muslim uh, garb are saying, are walking behind him and trying to talk to him. And he's, and he's thinking, this is a trap. I'm not getting out of the airport. I'm getting on a plane to go back where I came from. I, I should have never come here. He was stunned. He, he felt the danger. He was not about to leave with them. Finally, one of the men in broken English said, Sir, stop. Please stop. We're followers of Jesus. 
I listened to their story and it seemed true. Against my better judgment, but sensing the hand of God in our meeting, I went with those five men to a room that they had rented. It was an unfurnished apartment. Nick told them a little about, him, about my, his, himself and he said, uh, I'm here interviewing uh, people who persecuted Christians and so that's why I'm here. Why do you want me to be here? The man who spoke English translated for the, la for the rest and they laughed. They said, you think you know why you've come, but we'd like to tell you why you're really here. Each of these five men had had a dream and instructions about where to go to get a Bible. And they had, each of them had read the Bible multiple times, had become Christians, and they had to leave their country, and they had fled to this other country, and these five men found each other and discovered that they had a faith in the same God. They <clears throat> Each of them found the Bible, and that's an interesting story. But they were rejected and disowned by their families. They made their way across the border to this small border town. Somehow they found each other. They realized that they shared the same newfound faith in Christ. They didn't know what to do next, but they instinctively started meeting in this tiny third floor apartment. They met from midnight until three in the morning, hoping that they wouldn't get caught. They read the Bible and tried to encourage each other. But two months, two months earlier than this, they explained, they had started praying this prayer. God, we don't know how to be Christians in a Muslim environment. Please send someone to help us. Send someone who can encourage us and teach us. They explained what had happened when they had been together in this same rented room earlier that very day. This morning at 1.30, we heard the Holy Spirit saying, you need to go to the airport. There's going to be a white man. The first white man that you meet is someone that's going to, going to talk to you. So they went to the airport. So that's why you're here. And so he was overwhelmed and please, we want you to teach us. And he said, I will teach you. But before you do, we have a question. Where have you been the last two months? And he hung his head and said, I wasn't listening. Why am I telling you that story? Because I think the God of the Bible wants to show us what to do if we'll listen. I think he wants to tap us on the shoulder and do this, go there. God did it for, for Philip. He did it for Nick. If you give me permission, I'm just going to pray anyway. I want to pray with you and I want to ask God to do a hard reset of your expectation that God could and would talk to you and give you clues about what you need to do. I don't want you to go off on your own. I want you to, if, if you have the sense that God is speaking to you, I want you to ask your brothers, your leaders, this is what I'm hearing. Would you please help me get ready? But I just think the God of the Bible who cares so much about these people and wants them to come to know the Lord and who has given us so freely the gospel, we have so much Bible knowledge. We are responsible. And I just want to say, I want to pray with you in closing 
that we be a people who expect to hear from God and are willing to obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us. I'm not wanting to push anybody into ministry away from home that you haven't called. I pray that you would protect each person and that they could feel clarity about what God wants me to do right now. But Lord, the people that should be more involved in local ministry, the people that should be more involved in um, away from home ministry, I pray that you would tap them on the shoulder. And Lord, I pray for the senders here, that you would give us the ability to hear. And if God whispers a name in our ear, that we'll know what to do, and we'll know how to lovingly mentor and cheer for and celebrate those steps toward where they're going to go. We believe that you, the God of the Bible, want us to know and that you'll show us what the next step is. And if we're obedient, we'll know when we need to know what the following step is. I just want to bless these dear people with that kind of a sense that a, a holy awe that you want to nudge us because you care about those people who are hungry and don't have anybody to show them the way. I pray that you take these words that we've shared these last four sessions and any ideas that don't come from you, just kind of help them to forget it. Any ideas that you want to expand on and to grow, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here and that a holy fire would be within us and that we could uh, stay on track to prepare for the next step forward. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I guess somebody's coming up here. Well, thank you, Arthur, for allowing God to yeah, bring you here and to speak these things to us. I think that, yeah, I can definitely attest to, yeah, I needed to hear these things. And I have been very blessed, um, yeah, by the things that you've allowed God to speak, yeah, to us through you. I, one thing that I think maybe, yeah, has stayed in my mind the most was this morning when you were talking about yeah the, all the the nations and tribes before the great white throne and yeah I, I, I don't know in the last couple of years I think I've just realized so much about how yeah how broken the world is and how yeah there's just so many people with so many needs and just Thank you for painting that, yeah, that beautiful picture of, yeah, just people from, you know, all different walks of life and experiences and all of them praising God and, yeah, giving him glory for restoring things and making them right. And, yeah, that excites me. And I look forward to that day and that, yeah, I want to keep my eyes on that hope that someday that's, that's what, that's what, that's God's plan. Um, 